The winemakers are up next, but first, check out this other great show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Destination, eat, drink. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This week, we explore Chicago's neighborhoods, have an Italian beef, and enjoy a Chicago dog, a depression dog, and a super dog. Download Destination Eat Drink today on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Welcome to the winemakers. This is Brian Casey with Bart Hansen. Got Sam Katuri um, out in the field, out in the vineyard. Remote, Sam is remote. Sam is right out at the steel plow vineyard, and John Myers has joined us today. He's um, he's at home, obviously, like most people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are doing the virtual tasting with Dane Sellers and sixteen six hundred. We've got um, we're going to go in the order of um, the. Dane Sellers, Shannon Blanc, and then we're going to kick it over to Sam, and Sam is going to um, talk to us a little bit about the vineyard, the Steel Plow Vineyard, and we'll open up the Viognier and the Homage, and then um, and then we'll come back to Bart and um, try the Dane Sellers um, Zinfandel. So, yeah, Bart, if you want to kick it off, I've still got people coming in, and I'll just keep admitting them as they come in. People that have questions, you can go ahead and use that text, the little chat box that you see in the bottom, pretty much in the yeah. bottom center. Um, and so, um, welcome, everybody, and thank you. What an amazing response for this. This is awesome. Uh, some of you I know, some of you I don't. Uh, at the end of this, we'll all probably know way too much about each other, at least way too much about Sam and I. Um, so uh, a little background on me, I started at Kenwood Winery back in 1986 with my first harvest. I was 20 years old and kind of had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, and uh, I found a career in it. And, and I'm real fortunate that I've been able to work for some small family businesses, uh, family wineries that, you know, allowed me to learn and grow through it. So um, the Chenin Blanc was... Uh, the reason why I decided to make Chenin Blanc, I actually had no intention of making um, white wine when I actually started Dane Cellars. There was just no reason. All I was going to do is make some Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Valley. Wait, am I allowed to interrupt during this? Of course. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> okay. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a, the winemakers podcast if we weren't interrupting each other. Okay. So, so Bart, this is your business plan. Cause most people, you know, when you first go into doing a small label, you're thinking about a rosé or a white wine because you need some immediate turnaround, something that's done in stainless steel. You can bottle in six months or nine months to get the cash flow going. So your, but your thought process was, let's do something that we're going to put in barrel for two years and maybe a bottle age for another year. And maybe so, three years down the road, we'll get something going. So first of all, rosé wasn't a segment in 2007. Okay. Um, and, um, and yeah, I mean, I, I didn't go to business school. I, I, didn't, I knew not, when I started this winery, I knew nothing about running a business. I was a seller rat by trade, you know. Um, I was really more of a forklift driver than anything else. Um, and uh, yeah, that was exactly the plan. I was just going to make red wine. 
and um, had a conversation with someone, and they said basically just that. Well, don't you need a white wine to be able to um, pour at winemaker dinners, or what about people who don't like red wine, of which I would usually probably go, they don't like red wine? What are you kidding? Um, and, and so I had come to the decision that if I was going to make something, I was going to make something that I like to drink. You going to come and say hi? Okay, he's going to say hi. Here, this is, you got to get down low. Get down low so you can see you down. There we go. Yay! There he is, Dane Hansen. Um, <laughs> What's up, Dane? So, uh, so we decided that it was going to make a white wine, and uh, we weren't really Chardonnay drinkers in our household. Um, we drank a lot of Sauvignon Blanc, but the first white wine that I was kind of exposed to was when I was at Kenwood, we made a Chenin Blanc and we actually made two different ones. We made one from Clarksburg. Um, and then there was, some um, Chenin Blanc planted in Sonoma Valley still at that time. Uh, so this is mid eighties, late eighties. And it was in fact at the Montecito Vineyard, which is a moon mountain vineyard that maybe a lot of you may or may not have heard of. Uh, Morgan Twain Peterson does a Cabernet from up there. Uh, St. Francis has done Zinn and Cab from there. But originally that was planted to the Cabernet, which is still there. And then um, uh, and then the, the Chenin Blanc, and there was some Gewurz demeanor up there. Um, the Gewurz and Chenin have since been torn out and planted to Zinfandel. Um, so when deciding to do Chenin Blanc, it was like, well, where do you get it? And at that point, th th there was really no way to really kind of even figure it out unless you knew somebody. There was a few vineyards over in Napa that were owned by wineries and they weren't selling grapes. But in Clarksburg, there was, there was a, quite a bit of Shannon. So I went to a grower that Kenwood used to buy from and asked him if I could buy some grapes from him. And he was like, sure, you know, how many truckloads do you want? And I was like, well, I was thinking like a couple tons is all. And uh, he actually called me back, which I didn't expect him to call me back. Um, and, uh, so from 2009 until 2016, we made Chenin Blanc from, um, a vineyard over in Clarksburg. It made a great wine, um, very nice, uh, very, very, uh, reasonably priced grapes. But the wine for me was a little one dimensional. Um, and because at the time I was really trying to be non-interventionalist on making the wine, um, it, it, it was a great wine, it was a great price, but it was kind of simple, to be quite honest. And I always wanted to make something that had a little more, um, that, that was more unique. And so in 2016, I got a phone call from Hardy Wallace, and he knew that I was making Shannon. And um, uh, there was a vineyard up in Ukiah called Buddha's Dharma Vineyard, which was planted in 1942. Um, and was farmed organically. Um, there was four people making uh, wine off it at the time. It was um, Hardy Wallace. Pat, Pat, why don't you mention, so uh, Hardy Wallace from Dirty and Rowdy. Yep, sorry. Um, uh, Pax Molly from Pax Winery, um, or also Wind Gap there for a while. Right. Um, and then uh, myself and um, uh, Joey Ladd, Joey Labe. I forgot the winemaker's name. Uh, Scott Schultz. Scott Schultz. Scott Schultz. Um, so I was offered um, a couple tons, and so that was this wine. This was the 2016 was the first wine that we made from this vineyard. Uh, did, did you make a, a, a Clarksburg and a Mendo in 16? No, just, just Clarksburg. Just, 
I mean, just Mendo, just Mendo. Okay. Um, the vineyard is actually, the reason why it's called Buddha's Dharma is the vineyard is actually owned by the Buddhist colony that's located up there. Um, they obviously don't use the grapes, um, but uh, they, they own the vineyard and... Um, well, wait, wait a minute, Bart. You say obviously didn't use the grapes. I mean, Buddhist monks have been known um, for making incredible beer, right? So... I, I, I guess, maybe I don't know that, but I thought in the Buddhist religion, they don't drink alcohol. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you can't make it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, maybe they, maybe they do drink. I have no idea. I just know that, isn't, isn't that true that some of the, um, that, I mean, when you, when you talk about some really good, um, like Chimay style beers that they're, that they're, if there's Buddhists supposedly but going back in history, um, Robert oh, Cardillo, oh, uh, Cardillo being, in the wrong. Yeah, we're, we're being told oh, wrong, wrong monks. monks. <laughs> wrong monks, right? <laughs> All right, I got my monks mixed up. Thank you, Adrian Monk. Right. Hey Bart Hansen, did I hear something about a nudist colony in there? No, no, John. Buddhist colony. Oh, thank you. That's his <laughs> other vineyard. That's his other yeah. one. Yeah. John, the, the, the nudist colony is the Cabernet vineyard. Um, so anyway, um, I, I, was I was thrilled to get the grapes. Um, uh, so in 2016, we started making the wine from this. Um, the wine was fermented. I was able to put about a third of it into concrete. A third of it went into these 10-year-old French oak barrels and a third we did in stainless steel drums. At this time, I was working for the Lasseter family at their winery, um, and uh, uh, so I was able to uh, use some of their concrete, which was fun. Um, only one year, we'll, we'll see. We'll have to keep saving our money if we wanna buy concrete. Yeah, um, we'll do a lot more virtual tastings if you wanna buy yeah, concrete barrel. The, the, the wine <laughs> was um, uh, fermented naturally, so it was uninoculated. Um, the uh, concrete component went through malolactic um, on its own. Never really quite understood why that happened. The stainless and the oak um, did not. Um, and so <laughs> the concrete um, gave it a real unique flavor. I know Brian and I used to talk about this, about trying to bottle them all separately. But when we did some tastings together, we kind of decided that the sum <laughs> of the whole were better than the individual um, pieces. Yeah, well, and it wasn't my money too, so I figured, yeah, do three different ones. That would be that'd be super easy to market that. Right. Well, you know, I that was before Sam, you know, started making rosé from three or four different vineyards. So um, yeah. I guess we're both kind of learning from that. Yeah, yeah or or not maybe. <laughs> so the uh, wine was aged for uh, uh, twelve or no sixteen months. And then, um, and bottled. It was, this wine was filtered. This is the one wine that I filter. I have, I have done unfiltered white wines in the past. And if I can convince my wife, Terry, that, um, that it's okay, I'd like to do it again. But at this point, this wine was filtered. Um, that's about it. I, I'm, I'm real proud of this wine. So Bart, uh, uh, well, you, sorry to interrupt, but um, for Tim Long, will you, he's, he's got a question saying aging in concrete. So do you want to explain, you know, how long that people have been doing that and what the process is for doing that and what the thought process is for doing it? Well, so um, aging in concrete, it, it's funny. I went to France in, for my first time in 1990. And we went to all these, um, we were in Southern France in Chateauneuf and 
I, I didn't know any. I was still very green to this and um, uh, all these concrete fermenters, but they were all lined with either glass or they were painted with an epoxy. Um, and it was something that we never talked about in California. I mean, there were wineries that had concrete tanks, but, you know, quite frankly, we kind of looked at people that had them and said, well, why don't you have stainless steel? Right. Um, well, the fact is, is that uh, it, it was just a trend. Stainless steel was a trend. It was California wines were known for being a little funky if they had been in redwood or really old oak tanks. And, um, and it just it wasn't a trend. And I would say probably, what, 10 years ago, Sam, the concrete started to come back into fashion in California? Yeah, you know, it started with the, the eggs. Um, yeah, concrete eggs. The concrete and, eggs that better, you know, you know and, and so the, the centerpiece of sellers. Yeah. So, so the idea is, is that, um, that it, it, it is a porous material in that because it's rough on the inside, it does store some air. Um, uh, there's definitely a flavor profile, um, that kind of comes from the concrete. Um, there's also an aromatic thing for me. It always, it gave the wine some lift. It kind of, it heightened the wine. Um, but again, going back to the idea of bottling them all separate, at least for the Chenin Blanc, I think it was, it was a little too one dimensional. It, it made too much of an impression on the fruit component of the wine. Um, but I do like the texture that it gives to it. And, um, and I do like that lift that it gave. Um, but aromatically, I think it suppressed a lot of the really nice fruit flavor. So in this case, a third worked out real nice. And, and it wasn't that I decided to do a third because that's what tasted best. It was really, we had a third of each. And when we put them together, that's really, they tasted really well. Um, right. Well, and Bart, I think for, with, with concrete, I think especially with um, whites, at least, I, I like using concrete for whites because you tend to get some sort of um, minerality that the, the mineral aspects of the wine sort of come out. And then there's, there's something about those concrete eggs and maybe Sam can talk to it or Bart, if you want to about it being sort of a vortex or something inside of the egg that creates this, it naturally has the wine spinning inside of there or something. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a fermentation dynamics, does that anyway. When you have the grapes are fermenting, it's giving off all the CO2, the temperature, there is a dynamic where the, the, it, it moves around. Um, the egg probably enhances it and, and adds to it, the egg shaped, as opposed to just a, a, a cylinder shaped tank, or you know, if you look in the background behind me in my virtual picture, the square tanks. Um, okay. There's no doubt that, uh, that the concrete adds to that. Right. Um, the other thing about the concrete that's really interesting is the thermal dynamic of it is that it gets to a temperature and it kind of holds the temperature and it, there's not a lot of need for heating or cooling. Um, okay. So that's what I would say. Sam, you got anything to add? Uh, I was, I'm sitting here on my phone flipping everybody's picture. Um, I, the, <laughs> the thing about the egg with the thermal is something about the shape of the egg kind of like makes it and Bixby said Sharknado it kind of does this this <laughs> extra um sort of spin to it um but I, I think that you're hitting on it as far as a, a flavor profile when it comes to white wines that it's something you want to add but not necessarily 
use exclusively. Um, it, you know, and I, I'm wondering, Bart, if the porous nature of the concrete, you know, it's a little bit of oxygen exchange is why it went through mallow uh, on its own sort of spontaneously and, yeah, and, and, and not, not the barrel, which is what I would, where I would have thought that would happen. Right. I mean, there's another thing that goes along with that is the shift in the pH of the wine right, right. Um, going into the concrete. And I guess if I was a traditionally UC Davis trained winemaker um, and not a cellar boots on the floor winemaker, I would probably know that uh, chemical, uh, how that chemical reaction works. But I'm a little bit more of a, you know, fly by the seat of your pants and uh, a gut feeling winemaker than uh, following all the numbers. So Dan, Dan, go ahead and text me your question and I'll read it out to the guys. Um, and we've got someone just saying that the, the uh, Chenin Blanc is better when it's not so cold, which I know, you know, Bart and I have had this conversation a lot that I, I kind of like starting it out when it's really cold. And then as it warms up, just leave the bottle out on the table. And as it's warming up in the bottle and in the glass, it definitely gets rounder and uh, uh, fleshier and the, um, the fruit starts to show itself a little bit more um, than when it's real cold. Yeah, and, and you know, to, to comment on, on Dusty's, uh, Dusty Neighbors' uh, comment, Dusty's a winemaker down on the Central Coast. Say hello to everybody, or say hello to him, everybody. Um, there is a big difference between fermentation and aging. Um, and, and, and it is true that, um, that in concrete, when during the aging, it is more static and you get better settling, um, and the wine is actually um, a stiller. Um, but during fermentation, whether it's in stainless or in egg, um, the wine is, is more, uh, it's moving more. Hey guys, just as an aside, uh, Bart, I see that our friends in Boise, uh, Bix and Carrie, et cetera, are uh, going, going to start a Boise tasting group. So congrats guys, that's wonderful. <laughs> Cheers and enjoy. That Boise-Sonoma connection, John. <laughs> it's a good thing, it really is. So, uh, you know, if anyone has any more questions, I'll, I'll take more questions or else we can let Sam, I see Sam's glass is empty, so he's probably ready to pour some Viognier. The, uh, you know, Bart, we opened our, I know, I know the one that I'm drinking, I opened last night, we did another little tasting group. Um, today, and it's now been, you know, sitting in the tailgate of my car for an hour out here in the vineyard. Uh, so a little bit closer to, you know, room temperature, it's 65 degrees out here. Uh, and open for a day, there's these these herbal notes. It's like rosemary almost on the finish that I didn't get at all yesterday. Really interesting. I'm totally digging that. Uh, but I guess I should pour some Viognier now. Yeah, and I know Bart and Sam – oh, no, uh, Bart and I were talking about the, the Chenin Blanc earlier this morning when we were um, doing a podcast at, uh, at about 11 o'clock, and I told Bart that this wine has changed considerably over the, since the last time I tried it, which has probably been um, – four months, five months, something like that, that it seems to have, um, to be showing a lot more tropical fruit. Whereas before I noticed a lot more, um, mineral aspects to it. So it's, it's still sort of changing in the bottle. And that's, you know, I mean, it's a 2016 and now we're in 2020. Um, and this wine is just still continuing to evolve. Yeah, I, I, what I will say about Chenin Blanc is, and and even the Clarksburg um, wines that I have, they're um, the, especially the 
2012 and the 2014 are aging out really nicely. Um, and I think most of that has to do with the, um, the balanced um, alcohol and acid kind of ratio. Um, uh, lower kind of lower alcohol right around 13 or, you know, high 12s and then a good, a good pronounced acid. Um, and so that, that really helps with it. There were some other um, of the Shannon's from Clarksburg that, uh, that didn't age out as quite as well. And they were, you know, a little more wonky on the numbers. Right. <clears throat> and so Bar, you've done the Chenin Blanc for 17, 18 and 19, all from that vineyard as well. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So those are on the horizon. No, 18 and 19. 17, 19. We, yeah, 17, we um, did not make it. So what happened in 2016 when we bought the grapes, um, the day that he was picking the grapes, I, I, was, I had the grapes shipped down. I didn't go up and pick them up. And um, I had committed to two and a half tons. And he said, you know, he goes, there's just a little bit left. Can we go ahead and send you the rest of the, rest of the, the vineyard? And I was like, yeah, sure. How much do you think there is? He goes, oh, it's going to be three tons max. And it ended up being close to four, four and a quarter tons. And so um, I definitely had more grapes than what I needed. Um, right. And quite frankly, probably what I, more than what I had budgeted. Um, and so uh, uh, we, I was able to sell some juice to, um, uh, to a, another uh, winemaker. And then we T. made Berkeley, the rest of uh, on, on the program, right? Yeah. That was yeah. Like um, and so, yeah, so uh, the 16 or 17, we skipped. And then 2018 and 2019, we're back. And we'll be back again this year for 2020. And then I think I've confirmed that I'm going to get some Chenin Blanc from a vineyard here in Sonoma Valley. Um, what? Wait a minute. So, yeah. Breaking news. Yeah, where, where exactly is this Chenin Blanc growing? So this is, uh, it's up in Kenwood. It's from um, Eric Bradley's right over, right over vineyard. Wait, from Eric Bradley's parents' vineyard? Yeah, right on Warm Springs Road. Okay, so Eric Bradley, the winemaker for Sojourn, Reprie, Texture, and Pangloss, whose family lives there in Sonoma. And 16600. He makes some 16600 wines, too. We don't talk about winemakers with 16600, Sam. We, right, talk, we, talk, about, about we vineyard. talk about vineyard sites, all right? All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, boy, but you're, but you're right, Sam. Eric, Eric Bradley is one of your winemakers. You're right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right so that would be cool bart and are you planning on doing then two separate skews so one from buddhist dharma one from um a vineyard here in sonoma or would you just uh pick no, one? no we'll definitely do two different skews i'm i'm hoping they're going to be dramatically different wines um and then you know when eric and i looked at the vineyard where it's located he says don't you think we'd get some botrytis somewhere in this vineyard and um thinking oh, you, you know, really should there it's, it's... That, but he says it's it's just never really happened. So, but okay. you, know, you never know. Okay. All right. Well, you guys want to move on to some Viognier? Yep. Okay. So Sam, you are out at the Steel Plow Vineyard, which is for people that don't live here in Sonoma. Kind of explain exactly where you are. So let me just kind of like show people if if you know Sonoma Valley at all. Uh, behind me over here, that's uh, Sugarloaf. So that's uh, the highest peak in Sonoma Valley, um, basically the headwaters of, of the Sonoma Creek. It's a state park. It's, I think it's closed right now, like everything else. 
Um, the other side of where I am is Annadel. It's a popular bike riding park, also closed at a county park. So we're, I'm in the the north end of Sonoma Valley. You know, it's uh, uh, 15 miles almost from downtown, like where the tasting house is. Um, you know, it's a right now it's about a 15, 20 minute drive during the normal, you know, normal life. Uh, takes almost a half an hour, 45 minutes to get from one end of the valley to the other. So you kind of definitely change um, aspect. You have different, uh, different sun up here. One of the things that I kind of forgot when I came up here this afternoon, um, you can sort of see behind me, it, it's, it's cloudy now. Um, the, the fog that rolls in to this end of the valley is coming from Santa Rosa, coming off the Santa Rosa plain. So it's, there's a, a different temperature to it. I, came out here in a tie-dye t-shirt and I, I put my flannel on because it's you know, it a little more chilled with the wind. Um, it makes for a nice place to, to grow these Rhone varietals that, uh, especially something like Viognier that um, likes to be a little bit cooler. You know, it's from the northern end of the Rhone Valley. So, um, you know, much cooler area than where they grow the Grenache and the Syrah down in the south. So having them side by side out here um, can be a, a little bit of a challenge, especially in a year like 17, which is, which is what we're drinking. Um, you know, 17 is obviously the sort of uh, notorious um, fire vintage around here. Um, but if those fires hadn't happened in October, the thing that we'd all talk about in 2017 is the heat waves. Um, the heat wave over Labor Day weekend 2017, where, you know, it felt like Phoenix. Uh, you know, we had we had 116 degree temperatures in Calistoga. I definitely drove a lot of harvest decisions uh, in you know those early ripening varieties in 2017. Um, we were you know sort of right on the cusp of picking Labor Day weekend out here in the Viognier, and um, my dad and, and Jeff Baker and I came out here that you know Thursday. It was hot already, um, but the the fruit didn't taste ripe. It wasn't ready. So uh, we decided to ride out the the heat spell. And on the back end of the heat spell, the temperatures dropped. This fog that's rolling in behind me rolled in from, from Santa Rosa. And we actually didn't end up picking here until almost the middle of September. Um, you know, Viognier can be a, a tricky variety um, in that, especially in California, where people are, are a little more hesitant to let it get ripe. You get some really sort of perfumey light, um, but when you let it get ripe and, and you know, you have a vineyard that can ride out a, a heat storm like that, um, what you get is what is going on with this wine, especially right now where it's, um, you know, it has these really awesome, uh, like stone fruit aromatics. This is definitely, you know, brings a, a little more sweetness, although it's, you know, it's, dry wine a little more sweet than the Chenin Blanc which is you know why we rolled with the Chenin Blanc first um you know the the Condrio the which I'm not pronouncing correctly the, the Northern Rhone Viognier um can almost be sort of like oily viscous did somebody call me out on my on my pronunciation Condru, um, Condru, Condru. That's why you're the the certified song, Brian, and I'm the uh, guy wait. in a vineyard. It's, it's a guy um, it's a guy who must be French that's from, that lives in Chicago 
Okay. Well, if Isabel is if Isabel is here, we'd get a really nice uh, pronunciation. But there's there's way too many in the Zoom people in the Zoom room for Isabel to hang out. She's way too much of an introvert. She's you know there's these <laughs> winemakers and vineyard people who are built for social distancing. Eric Bradley's another one who's like, yeah, I can cancel all my dinner reserv <laughs> dinner dates and uh, stay in my cave on the top of the hill for the rest of the month. I mean, yeah. But uh, so well, Sam, the, kind of yeah. Sorry, Go kind ahead. of ex explain the challenges with Viognier because. Like you said, it's it's kind of with Viognier, it's all about the call and the pick because if you wait too long, you're getting too much sugar and you're getting kind of a, you know, candied wine. And if right. you if you do it too young, there's a there's a possibility of getting some bitterness. And so there, there's like that seems to be one of the most important things with the Viognier is getting it right at that right capturing that right moment, um, that right window. Yeah, and you know the the thing about it. Um is it's in the skin. And, and when you're out here tasting these grapes, uh, and, and you know, I really started to learn that in 17 out here with, with Jeff and my dad, um, that bitterness is in the skins. And so it doesn't really matter um, what, the, what the bricks are, what the sugar levels are at, uh, and, and it even doesn't necessarily matter as much what the pH is. If you taste those skins and you're getting, um, and you're getting bitter, then it's not ready. And, and, you know, kind of in the same way, like with Roussan, you, you got to kind of wait till it gets ugly. Um, yeah. You got to let those skins really, really mature, ripen, and, and they get a little dark and funky looking and, and they sweeten. Now, if you, and then you got to pick, you got to pick right away. Yeah. Um, and it's just kind of going out and you know, tasting almost every day uh, till you get out there. Fortunately, there's only, you know, there's there's 40 rows of it or so here. There's not a ton of it. And actually, Brian, the reason I, I'm standing exactly where I am, the second end post sign behind me, and I don't know if you can see it, um, is predates from when we worked here, uh, and it actually says Kunwa. Um, no way. Yeah, they, we, we. I don't know if we did it or if this was before we took over um, farming here. They cut over the Kunwa and, and made more Viognier. This vineyard was originally planted to be one, one fermentation, a little Viognier, the Kunwa, the Syrah, the Grenache, and the Nevedra, um, all went into, you know, one, one wine uh, for landmark winery, you know, and, until 2012, I believe. Okay, and those, so and those people, sorry, Bart, I was just going to, just for those people that are listening that are like, what's Kunwa? Is that a name of a winery? It's, say what? Yeah. So it's, it's the name of Kunwa is the name of a grape that's um, um, a Rhone varietal that, I mean, extremely rare here in um, California, probably Tablas Creek. And who um, I know up in, um, was it Eagle Point? Um, so um, Mendocino, something like that. But it's a, it's a, it's a dark skinned varietal um, that you won't see very, very much of. But if you go to the girl in the fig, you'll see it. Cause of course they do the only Rhone varietals, but, but interesting that it was actually planted around there that someone had the thought process. And I wonder where they got it from, honestly, where they got the budwood. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. that's a good question. I don't. Uh, so the, the, the yeah, story that I do know about that is that when I was working for the Lassiter, because you were across the street. Oh no. All right. You were at Lassiter. Well, yeah. So when we were, when I was at the Lassiter, <laughs> We got a little bit of fruit from the steel plow uh, vineyard in 2012, I think, uh, 2013. 
and we did get the last uh, harvesting of the Kunwas okay. the Chemin de Fer um, blend. And um, yeah, it, it was a you know big buried, uh, uh, high acid. Um, yeah, it, it was an interesting grape, but it was just thrown into the bins. We didn't we didn't uh, separate it. There wasn't enough to right. separate. Yeah, and then, Brian, like you're getting hours. a lot of nice comments here too. Yeah, I noticed really someone good. someone mentioned that they probably got it from Jason Haas, which I I think they went back. I think for Kunwas for Tablas Creek, maybe 2005. I think is the first time that I'd seen a vintage from them at Tablas Creek, and they're typically well, the ones that around when when this vineyard was planted is the, the early 2000s. So yeah. it's very possible. And yeah. this is this is actually you know that makes sense. Um, that this is this is all Topless Creek clones yeah. on the on the other rones, so that probably is exactly. And I know, I saw Dusty asked a question about the the winemaking on this. Yeah, it is. It's a whole cluster press uh, and barrel fermented barrel aged uh, for like eight months. Um, we we don't we don't inoculate for or necessarily stop uh, malolactic fermentation. So. You know, some barrels go through fully, some don't at all, some do partial. So, you know, it's a, a, a partial malolactic fermentation on it. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, winemaking stuff. Hey, Sam, any idea? <laughs> Sam, any idea on the percentage of uh, new oak on that? Uh, zero. It's all, it's all neutral barrels. It's all yeah. neutral barrels. That's good. I was right. My wife was sure that there was some new oak in it last night when we were tasting it. Ha! Uh, well, <laughs> you know what, then? I, I wouldn't want to disagree with Terry. We use about 10% new yeah. oak on it. Yeah. You know what? I'm rarely right. Or I'm saying, All right, fine. We'll, I'm rarely we'll, we'll give you the correct. Yeah. Take it as a win, Bart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and, and um, Sam, who, who made this wine? Uh, this, was made by, this was made by Jeff Baker. We, the... the first three or four Viognier's that we made from Steel Plow went up to, to Eric and the team at Repri. Um, and then when we started making some of the Steel Plow uh, homage at Stone Edge, uh, we started taking the Viognier there. Um, that, was, that was 2015. So that was the first year that we saved the Viognier skins um, and added them to the Dos Limones Syrah fermentation. Um, okay which is something that we, we do every year now. And someone wants to talk about flavor profiles. I think definitely on the nose you get the That's typical. That's you, Brian. Yeah. Definitely getting the typical stone fruit stuff, but almost like a little um, honeydew on the nose mm -hmm. when you smell this. I always think about uh, peachos is my favorite. Uh, you know those like candies, like little peach rings you would get at, you know, gas station uh, candy aisle? A little pecho is kind of the uh, Okay, aroma, yeah. Aroma. So yeah, typically you're getting a little peach, apricot, and honeysuckle. This one is is got a little bit um, sweeter fruit, and then on the palate, you're definitely getting those flavors, and then you are getting a little slight bitterness on the finish um, from those skins that you were talking about, Sam. Yeah. Well, I can so, sure the, tell you that this is going very well with duck roulettes and crackers oh, right now. <laughs> this is what I miss about podcasting in general is the the spreads that John and Bart would put out. <laughs> yeah, At least my mouth fun. isn't full while I'm talking today. <laughs> well, and, and great with curries too. I think, um, I think um, curry is a good um, yeah. pairing for the uh, Viognier. Indian food, Himalayan food. 
I think I think Sam left Curry at home. I did because yeah. if I hadn't, he'd be barking because yeah, there's no a, a, about fifty about fifty yards to my right is a the pond that is you know sort of the decorative pond between the vineyard and the the tasting room at Landmark, and um, he knows. About the time we hit like the Kenwood Market, where we're heading, and gets excited about swimming in that pond, which is not necessarily the cleanest body of water that he finds. Well, into. Molly is saying hi to Curry. Hey, Molly. <laughs> Molly's behaved. Oh, you know, to to kind of segment whenever you're ready, Sam, into the the Grenache. Oh, but the- I, I did want to bring up the fact that it's something that I learned from tasting grapes with your father in the vineyard is that with Grenache, there's a bitterness to the skins also um, and a tannin um, that you definitely get. And uh, having experience with, you know, picking the grapes earlier um, and then waiting on Phil's, um, on Phil's suggestion, um, that bitterness will, will go away. Um, you know, if you just wait. Um, and even though, like you said, regardless of what the sugar is, hopefully within, within reason, um, there is a point where the bitterness goes away uh, and, the, and the tannins go from, it, well, and it goes to tannin, not just from bitterness. So. Right. Well, and that's, uh, you know, Julian uh, Barreau at Domindola Barroche in, in Chateauneuf, at, I think it was an A7, may have been a hospice to Rhone, um, said that, you know, when he goes out in the vineyard and, and tastes, yeah, we're pouring, the, we're pouring the steel plow homage now. So this is um, Grenache, Mavedra, and Syrah, 75-16-9. I'm reading the back of the bottle while I show you guys the front of the bottle. Um, it, what Julian Barros says is, is when he goes out and tastes his Grenache, thinks it's ready, he knows he needs to wait two weeks. And, you know, that's in Chateauneuf de Pop, and he owns the vineyard, and it's a lot easier to do those things. But, um, yeah, you know. Uh, to your point, Barton and Dusty and the other winemakers that are on here would appreciate that. You know, appreciate this. My dad, Phil, is basically the only grape grower who tells winemakers when to pick their grapes. You know, you know, you want these grapes again next year? All right, well, you should pick them two weeks later. So, yeah. All right, so pouring the. Uh, yeah, everyone, cut off your red wax tops. <laughs> no, no, no! You just put the cork through right through it. My. I don't know anyone at home that drinks a lot of 16600. I can tell you, your corkscrew ends up, no matter what color it is at the beginning, after drinking so much 16600, your corkscrew is red. Uh, Jeff Kiefer put his, put his Coravin through the wax. I, that, yeah, that, uh, don't yeah. try that at home. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> maybe, maybe if we talk about it enough, your Coravin, Jeff, I saw that you were just kidding, but maybe if we, uh, Oh, and also, there we go. Oh, someone's going old school. I dig it. So uh, this is a, a true co-ferment of, you know, basically different parts of this vineyard, except for where I'm standing, which is, uh, uh, Dusty, if you like having the grower picked, then maybe we can talk, sell you some grapes. Um, and Sam, tell is, people what a true co-ferment as opposed to. Okay, yeah, yeah. So when, when we harvest this vineyard, we, um, you know, are trying to get as close to the Syrah and the Mavedra being ripe at the same time the Grenache does. And that, you know, you don't ever necessarily get exactly there, but um, when the Grenache is ripe, uh, you go and you add some from the Syrah and some from the Mavedra uh, during the pick. And then 
it's crushed together, uh, fermented together. This was, you know, one big open top fermenter at, at Stone Edge. Um, you know, we probably about a, a three week fermentation, three or four day on the cold soak and then um, barreled down into, again, all, all neutral barrels and uh, aged 16 months, uh, probably more than that, probably more like 18 months um, before, we, before we bottled it. Because the alternative is is picking everything separately, right. fermenting oh, yeah. it yeah. separately, and then and then at the end blending it together, depending on the flavor profiles and what the winemaker owner or whoever whatever they're looking for. So this is this is kind of a different thing where you're picking everything at the same time, right. and so you're kind of looking for that window where everything is ready to be picked at the same time, and sometimes you don't have that opportunity. Well, so and, the and, interesting, uh, I was going to say, the interesting thing about this is, is as opposed to a field blend, a true field blend, um, in, in the case where you're picking the vineyard at one time, you're able to sample them separately fairly easily. So you can get an idea of where you stand um, as far as, you know, ripeness between the different lots. Whereas like in a true field blend, which Sam and I both get some, some uh, grapes from vineyards like that, you're, you're kind of guesstimating uh, what your overall right. sugar is going to be at. I mean, you're still walking through and sampling and running your numbers, but ultimately it, you still don't know, like, you know, is the carrying or is the, um, the Mouvedre, you know, cropped higher than the um, Grenache or Syrah, et cetera. So, well, and that's what we do at Steel Plow to try and get um, – everything close enough to a, a consistent ripening date is the blocks are the ro actually the rows that we set aside for 16600 that are Mavedra and or, or Viognier will adjust the canopy and manage the the fruit yields uh, in a way that you know either sort of slows down or, or speeds up the, the ripening time depending on you know it's the Syrah. Syrah usually is going to be ripe a little bit before the Grenache so we'll, we'll try and leave a, a little bit more canopy out there and a little bit more fruit out there Mavedra is the one that, you know, especially at this vineyard, seems to take a little bit longer to get to a, a place where it's ripe. So, and, you know, the row direction is different in the Mavedra, and that helps in one, uh, but the other thing we'll do is we'll, we'll, you know, cut more fruit off there, maybe cut back on, you know, take some of the leaves off a little bit, um, and, and, you know, get it to, to ripen a little bit quicker. Mm. And Sam, talk about your philosophy on... Um, when you're doing red blends, um, Rhone blends with uh, Syrah. Yeah, you know, the thing about Syrah is um, it's such a, a powerful flavor um, that you don't really want to have too much of it. Um, and, you know, you'll, you'll wipe out all those really interesting, subtle, you know, bright red fruit flavors in the Grenache. So, what we will do sometimes is reserve some Syrah um, and then and then add it back uh, to get to the place where we want it to be. So some of the Syrah goes into the co-ferment and then we'll also do, you know, a, a barrel or sometimes even less, uh, you know, a tiny little fermentation of the Syrah as small as we can get to ferment um, and then and then add it back. And, you know, on the back of this label, it says you know, 16.9 on the percentages of the Mavedra and the Syrah. And that's probably, um, you know, that's a, a guesstimate. But it's definitely one of those things where, 
you're, you're sitting there in the tasting and you know that there's maybe already 5% Syrah in there and you add by the numbers 5% more and you're like, all right, well, maybe we'll go 5% more and all of a sudden you get to 15% Syrah and that's all you taste. Um, so it, it's definitely a, a delicate balance. You know, you want Syrah in there to, to give it that, that, that oomph, that power, the, the broad shoulders, uh, the, the you know, spicy, tangy finish, but you don't want to lose you know, the, the cool flavors that you get out of Mavedra and, and Grenache. I mean, if you want a wine that tastes like Syrah, make Syrah. Um, right. But if, if you want to uh, make a true California, you know, Sonoma Valley expression of a, of a grown field blend, especially in California where, you know, in these warmer sites where Syrah can get so ripe, um, you, have to be, you have to be really careful with how much Syrah goes in. And, and you guys that are all tasting the wine right now, what's, what's really cool, I, what I really like about good Grenache is bury your nose in there and think about what you're smelling. Um, think about going to the movie theaters and getting some red vines. The, oh. the amazing licorice smells, and it's, it's red licorice, and then sometimes it kind of delves into the black licorice. But you definitely, if you just bury your nose in there and think about eating some red vines at the movie theater, so so far, I'm feeling I'm filling out the peach the peach rings and the red vines portion of tonight's balanced breakfast. Yeah, we're going candy today. <laughs> I, I dig it. Hey Sam, it must be uh, a big day. Yeah. Uh, Dan Bixby had a question. Can you compare the steel plow to the Rossi Field blends? Yeah. So the, for for those of you who um, you know, aren't sixteen six hundred members or or fans already, the Rossi is our our other sort of mainstay Rhone blend. Um, the Rossi Ranch literally is, is like three miles from here, uh, straight that direction to the, to the southwest. Um, but it goes up in elevation and has very different soil. You know, here we're in this uh, very like alluvial fan. You know, the, the rocks that wash down from, from uh, Sugarloaf uh, at Rossi Ranch, it's all volcanic. And when you get into 100% volcanic soil, everything changes about the, pro the, the profile and aromatics and, and especially the texture of the wine. So, you know, this is, um, you know, the way I, I love to think about it, um, for me, steel plow is, is the Cote de Rhone. It's, it's amazing. It's solid. Uh, and then you get to the Rossi Ranch and you're into the Chateau Neuf de Pop where there's just a, a little bit more intensity um, definitely more tannin, you know, uh, anybody who's a, a 16600 member knows that, you know, they're getting right now 17 steel plow homage uh, shipped out as, as we speak, the, I just started sending and I haven't even started pouring in the tasting room, the 15 Rossi, the Rossi wines just take a little bit longer to come around. Um, but I, you know, I think that they probably have more a little bit more age-worthiness to them. The Rossi Ranch is just one of those, you know, sort of grand crew classic sites. Um, so it, it definitely is uh, the the bigger, more tannic, um, and and much more savory version of this wine. This wine is, you know, as as Brian was saying, has got those really sweet candy flavors and aromas. Um, the Rossi Ranch, even when it's going into the, the tank to ferment. The Rossi Ranch has this, um, has this uh, like clove, five spice, yeah. really, um, 
you know, sort of uh, spiced aromatics um, that that we don't get we don't get down here. Um, you know, it's also a, a, a warmer site than than Steel Plow. Steel Plow, you know, gets this this cool breeze coming from the north, um, you know, off the Santa Rosa Plain that definitely keeps uh, things a little bit brighter. All right, and and we've got one of the listeners asking about differences between growing Rhone varietals in Sonoma as opposed to Paso Robles. And, and first, let's preface the question just by saying, you know, it's one of those things you, you hear when you come into a tasting room sometimes is, um, oh, well, I don't, I don't like this because it's this. The, the thing you got to realize about the different microclimates is Paso Robles or Sonoma, you can find similarities in different vineyard sites that you're talking about. So you can find a, a, a vineyard in Sonoma County that has very similar um, microclimate to a vineyard in a, in a specific area of Paso Robles. Right. I think what people generally think about, though, when they're talking about Paso Robles is probably heat. Um, I mean, Depending probably, on where you are, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's kind of west side of the highway or east side of the highway, I, I, as I understand. Yeah. Um, the, and the other thing, I've only been a me, visitor, never yeah. farmed there. Um, the soil is really different down there than it is up here. Um, yeah. Way more calciferous, um, you know, very different, um, very different geologically. You know, where, where Northern California, even even when you're on the valley floor like where I am, it's still based on mm-hmm. on volcanic rock um it's a, a whole different you know there's the sandstone and, and you know such such different um geology and that you know more than anything i think um you know because you can get hot and dry down there or up here uh, you can get you know foggy mornings and you know off whether it's the san francisco bay or the pacific ocean or morro bay down there so uh you know for me uh, the first place that I would look is, you know, what makes those, that is a big word for me, Dan. Uh, and I, another one that I probably didn't say right. Um, it, it's, it's, that's where I would look. I, I look to the dirt first, for sure, is, is you know, why those you know, ones than, than the Thanks for the sense of humor, Bix. That was good. <laughs> oh, that was Cheers. Melissa with the, sh- Melissa throwing the shade. I guess you guys are a couple hours ahead, so. <laughs> I, I've just stopped trying to say big words on the podcast. <laughs> well, Bart, that's Cal not because it, that's because you make up your own words. You somehow merge words together to make your own words. You should have your own dictionary. <laughs> that's quite a talent, though, Bart. It really is. It is. Bixby, Bob, Bob. keep saying Shannon, Bart. Just keep saying Shannon. Yeah, <laughs> Bart. Bart's only going to make wines that he can pronounce. Cab, Zin. <laughs> Three-letter words. Cab, Zin, GSM. Done. <laughs> yeah. Done. Actually, it's it's really Sam. It's G. It's GMS. Is really GMS. It is. It's a, and that's why you know I, I don't um I, I don't say GSM in the tasting room. We say we say Rhone blend or Grenache blend. Um, you know the the GSM really is. Kind of, hey, it's you know, it's sort of an oversimplification of, of you know what what we're doing with these wines because a, Syrah is very rarely, if ever, the the number two, you know, on the list, um, right. and and b, you know, we're, we're you know our, our homage. The reason we call these wines homage is we're paying homage to you know the wines of Chateauneuf de Pop, the Rhone Valley, and and all of our our friends and and uh, you know heroes that make wine there 
Well, and you, you don't, all, sorry, John, I was gonna say, you guys also don't, you don't want to be tied down to, you know, specific um, percentages. If some, you know, some years right. it's going to be a SMG, sometimes it's going to be a GMS, a GSM, um, MSG. Uh, just the 13, depends. Yeah, the 13, 13 Rossi, Rossi is, right, 13 is Rossi. a good example of that. That's Movedra yeah, driven. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of leave yourself open. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, Sam, what are you going to do when we kick over to Bart's Wine? Are you going to hang out still in the vineyard with us? I'm, I'm uh, socially isolating. There's nobody around except for the people driving <laughs> by, you know, 500 yards away on Highway 12. Actually, I can see the McLaren tasting room. I actually, I, I didn't yell at them, but I saw uh, Steve and Heather Law walking around back there. Um, I'm gonna, shout out I wanna, to Steve. I've never, hey, Steve. I, actually, I still Heather. haven't. I've, I've never tasted um, this wine of Bart's, unless you brought it to a taste a podcast and I don't remember. So that's possible. But uh, as far as I know, I've never tasted this wine of Bart's. So I'm excited to, to hear about it. Um, you know, I love, I love Zinfandel. And by the way, I'm seeing Jeff Kiefer. Anyway, saying hi. You have a great-looking cat there. Uh, just like I said, I like the pets in the in the shot. Cheers. <laughs> any other any other questions or comments on the the steel plow homage before I before I go pour Zinfandel and have we? I think it was 4:20 at some point here, so I can go off camera for a second. <laughs> why 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 are you going off camera sam yeah, this is yeah, this is california sam. all right okay never mind new world order baby remember <laughs> sam we have to stay on brand right right well you're That's the one uh busted out the i didn't even know you had one of the i can tell you don't wear it that often because it's not that faded it's mine are, mine harvest, are way more faded. my harvest shirt from 2017 that's the that was the shirt that kept my dad and my brother out of jail <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's right <laughs> sam i see that roger randall's wearing a uh, uh tie-dye t-shirt today too yeah so. i saw there that right on i you know i that's all not surprisingly or because all i have but that's all i've been wearing in our quarantine life is all the is all the tie-dyes it's sort of like the disaster uniform at this point you know you know i'm coming so yeah who are you dressing <laughs> up for at this point in time so Right. I was like, oh, should I put on a special shirt for the podcast? No, I'm just going to wear what I was wearing. Anyway. It's really interesting to see into all of your homes, guys. This is really fun for us. And just wow, that sounds real creepy, John. Saying hi. No, stop it, Brian. You know exactly what I'm saying. All of a sudden, people start shutting it down. It's all cool. Yeah, I'm Turn the video over. off. Cut the video. I'm going to come Nick at Kevin's house. All those nice uh, prints on the wall. I'm going to drive over and steal those <laughs> and, Got a, and some good looking photos there man <laughs> can i just can i um, address tim no you you don't have to chug every bottle before we move on to the next one um <laughs> i can tell you from experience that um that um specifically bart's chenin blanc and yeah. even even moreover the zinfandel that you're about to try i actually suggested yeah, to bart are. Um, yesterday, you know, do you guys want to send out an email um, to tell people to open up that Zinfandel maybe a day early? Because I, I think it's kind of cool to do this this Zinfandel that you're about to taste. Open it up today, but save a little bit to try tomorrow because this wine really changes over time. And, and the same thing with the Chenin Blanc. And I, I only I do that purposely because I buy wines for restaurants. So when I want to try something that's going to be poured by the glass, I like to open it up 
have a glass, the next day have a glass, the next day have a glass, kind of see, because sometimes in restaurants, you've got wines that will sit a little bit longer and they won't pour the entire bottle of wine. And, and um, you know, it's, um, it's nice to see a wine that holds up over time. And sometimes some wines even get better yeah. the next day or even the next day. So I think that Zinfandel is one of those and the, and the Chenin Blanc too. I've talked to you about that before, Bart, but the Chenin Blanc is really good the next day. So no, you don't have to chug it all, but we, we're not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> don't tell me how to live my life. No, <laughs> especially now. Well, somebody said, now you tell me not to chug. You know, now yeah. you say that. <laughs> Bart, ship out another bottles. bottle. <laughs> All right, I've got my Dane Cellar Zinfandel from, from Gopher Run. And, and Bart sort of disappeared on his. Bart, Gopher Run, does that mean that there's a shit ton of gophers out in this vineyard? He's gone. He's not even listening. That's uh, natural canopy oh, management, I believe. Yeah. And you have the gophers out there. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, uh, Gopher Run Vineyard. Um, you know, it, it's uh, names of vineyards. Sometimes they're historic references. Sometimes they're um, personal um, things. In this case, the vineyard owner... He's a runner and he loves to run. And when they bought the property and were developing it, uh, they had a lot of problems with gophers. Um, so he named it Gopher Run. Uh, I tried to talk him out of changing it to something, you know, a little more suited to the piece of property uh, because, uh, but he was stuck on Gopher Run. So Gopher Run it is. Okay, um, so, so where is this vineyard, Bart? I'm sorry, Brian, say it again. Uh, where is the vineyard? So the vineyard is uh, on the southwest side of Sonoma Valley, uh, uh, at the base, at the southeast base of Sonoma Mountain. Um, so it's literally down at the bottom of the hill from our house. Um, it sits along Carragher Creek. So um, it, it basically, it's basically planted in stones. I mean, the the owner the vineyard owner said that they had a hard time getting the vines established because he thought it was gophers and I really feel that it wasn't gophers that it was actually um, just the lack of soil and uh, the lack of water holding um, capacity of the of the little bit of soil that's there. Um, he didn't uh, dig deep enough really holes when he planted in the vines. Yeah. Sorry, Sam. I said he probably didn't dig deep enough holes when he planted the vines. Yeah, I didn't deep enough holes and, and didn't put enough uh, compost and soil in. I mean, you know, the right. soil that's there is basically uh, the organic material that gets mowed every year uh, and just decomposes down into the soil. Um, and Sam, what's your term for too many rocks or many rocks? Uh, muchas piedras? Muchas piedras, but then uh, as Kevin Burns is saying, uh, somebody went up to me and went mas piedras with the vineyard down the hill. Uh, right. But muchas piedras, you know, I muchas piedras, yeah, there's a lot of rocks there. You dig a hole, and if you need more than a shovel, if you need a, you know, a pick and a rock bar, uh, I muchas piedras. So, mm -hmm. so now you can see over my shoulder there, uh, the pile of rocks. That's one of the pile of rocks Someone, um, I'm out. that they took out of the vineyard uh, during the clearing of it. And the uh, metal chicken um, overseas uh, keeps an eye on everything. Uh, there's several piles of rocks on the property like that. Um, so the vineyard is planted to 95% Zinfandel, 2.5% uh, 
Petite Syrah and two and a half percent Alicante Boucher. Um, and it, it is a true um, a field blend. Uh, so we picked it all at one time. Um, and there's no doubt that in this wine, the Petite Syrah and the Alicante have a, a strong impact on the wine. Um, and you know, Zinfandel by itself, I've always thought is a pretty delicate wine, um, if not picked too ripe. Um, uh, but, and the impact like Syrah on Grenache, the impact of the Alicante and the Petite are, uh, happen pretty quickly. And even at the 5%, you know, two and a half of each on this wine, um, this is a pretty dense wine. Um, this wine in 2017, we had a couple of heat spikes, um, that no doubt, um, pushed along the ripening on this. This was very ripe when it came in probably far riper than I would have liked to it have been. Uh, but that's was, uh, you know, that's what happens when you're a small winery and, um, growers are pushed. Uh, they have, um, they have, uh, every winemaker in town calling them saying, I need my grapes now. So I had to wait a little bit longer than what I like to have for this wine. Um, we did about a five day cold soak on this, meaning that when we, uh, destemmed the grapes, we went into a tank, we chilled the tank down to 50 degrees for five days and then let it started to warm up on its own. Uh, at that point, once it got up in temperature to the, you know, mid sixties, the, um, the fermentation just kicked off on its own. It's uninoculated. And, um, and this was a long, slow fermentation. It was about, uh, 35 days on skins. Wow. And so Bart, you're saying this is, this is a co-ferment, like we were talking about earlier. This is, when you get the Zinfandel, you get some of the Petit Saran, some of the Alicante that just comes with your Zin? It's, no, you... it's all, it's a field blend. It's, it's okay. all picked at one time. Um, okay. Given the opportunity, it would have been, it would be real fun in the future to, you know, um, identify those vines. They're both pretty easy to distinguish compared to the Zin and, um, and pick it all separately. Um, but that would mean uh, being organized and well thought out. And, you know, during harvest, it usually just doesn't happen. So we got to stay on brand, Bart. We got to stay on brand. <laughs> right. <laughs> stay on brand. <laughs> it's, it's right there along with my, um, with my business plan. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, will you guys talk a little bit about Zinfandel and how it's an uneven ripener and, and how you think that sort of affected how people made the wines in the past and how you think it affects how people make the wines now. And, um, you know, you know, being that you're getting a cluster that's not always, um, ripening at the same time. Yeah. I mean, so when I, when I worked at Kenwood, we made a lot of Zinfandel, um, and we got, a, we had a lot of old vine vineyards in the Valley. And then we had a lot of vineyards that were planted hundred percent to Zin. And, um, we always, it would, it would be a struggle. There was always plenty of sugar to make um, the wine that we wanted as far as alcohol content or potential alcohol. Um, but you were always looking for um, flavor components and you're looking for color. Um, you know, if you take a grape sample and you squeeze those grapes and there's no color comes out of it and the seeds are green and the, um, it's not separating the, the, the inside of the grape is not separating from the, um, seeds, then it's probably not ripe. Um, uh, and, and in Zinfandel on one 
vine, or for that matter, even one bunch, you can have raisin or grapes that are starting to turn to raisin. And then you'll also have grapes that um, are still, you know, kind of opulent, uh, 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 not quite red yet. Um, and so it is a struggle. Um, I think as far as the trend in Zinfandel from when I started in the mid eighties to call it the culmination of ripeness in Zinfandel, you know, the mid nineties, um, everybody was chasing intensity and extraction. And I think if you guys, if you drink some uh, Zins from Lodi, uh, you might understand what I mean. Just a little bit over the top. Um, and this wine, to be quite honest, is a little bit over the top. Um, uh, this wine is going to be an ager. It's, this, is, this is one for, for the sellers because from all the bottles that I've opened, for that matter, even sometimes on day four and day five, this wine's just starting to sing. Um, there's a lot here. There's, there's a lot of acid still in the wine, um, uh, and there's a lot of intensity in the fruit. And I, and I think it makes a shift. And if you guys taste this tomorrow, you'll see the wine becomes a little harmonious, more harmonious with the alcohol, and the aromas will start to pop tomorrow. Yeah, I think, Bart, you and I, you and I have talked about this wine when I tried it about a month ago, and it really reminds me of those those chocolate covered cherries that you get around the holidays that have a little bit of liquor in the in the cherry. That when you bite into that candy, you got that you have that chocolate, that cherry, and then a little bit of um, a little bit of uh, alcohol flavor. And yeah. the next the next day, it really it really settles in. Yeah. So. Um, so this wine, uh, like I said, it was it was a long time on the skins, um, pressed off, went directly to barrels, 100% uh, uh, neutral French oak barrels. And then um, this wine actually aged in barrels for 22 months wow. before we bottled. And, um, and, and I, and I, that was, that was a conscious thought. I mean, normally I would probably bottle Zinfandel about 16 to 18 months after um, going to barrels. Uh, but again, this wine was so massive. Um, I think it really needed the time. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, it, it is, it is ripe. Um, we as winemakers, we always deal with ripeness. You know, I'm sure all of you are experienced wine drinkers. You've heard about people adding water back to, um, you know, the grape juice to get it in line. So, um, for fermentation reasons, um, and, and this was one of those wines, like if I would have been, again, a technical UC Davis driven winemaker, I would have added a lot more water to it, but then the wine would have always seemed a little, um, washed out, um, most likely, um, and it would have lacked some intensity and I would much rather have intensity in this case. I think the alcohol, um, is very well balanced in the wine. So... Yeah, and Jeremy, you know, if you're used to drinking Nall Zinfandel, which those of you that have listened to the show, we went to Nall, N-A-L-L-E, um, and had their Zinfandels that they're grown over in Dry Creek. They they do low alcohol style Zinfandels, which are are great. If you ever get a chance to order some of those wines, we totally encourage it because um, um, those are really nice Zinfandels that the family's been making for 35 years. Um, you, yeah, you have and, you have fans here for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and 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 in 2019, um, I'm sorry, in 2000, yeah, 2018, um, the Zin that I make from Le Chamazal Vineyard, 
Um, I'm, I'm very excited to get that bottled here in the next couple months whenever we can. Um, and, and that is a little more um, relatable to like a null wine where um, less of the dark berry, dark black fruit <laughs> and much more pepper and spice. And a lot of that has to do with, of course, the grape growing region, but also it has to do with the um, being 100% Zin, um, which a lot of those null wines are. And then also um, the the the, um, the slightly lower alcohol. Yeah, and that's why you know with the pairings, I think Sandra had this down with the espresso cheesecake, which I noticed if, if you guys got the pairings. Um, number one, I think we wanted to do something that you could do as a starter, entree, and and dessert. But I think um, this would be one of those wines that if we were doing a winemaker dinner with you, Bart, that I think would go well with um, with the dessert. Um, something with some chocolate and intense fruit. Yeah. Hey, hey Brian, will you go over the, uh, all the pairings from the beginning? Um, I guess we really, Sam? Really? Are you yeah, going to wait until the end? Well, I didn't, I, I maybe didn't uh, read all my emails. Uh, uh, yeah. um, well, I'll tell you the short. On here, have Sandra talk about it. I've, the I've, short ribs looked really good. All yeah. right. Those, those are the ones you can pair with. That Zen man, it will stand up to the ribs and beautiful. Actually, pretty easy to do. Actually, so get them all out, bake them, and make them this weekend. Yeah, I, I think we had the. Um, it was the um, seafood stew that I believe we had with the um, with the Viognier that had a Madras mm. curry to it. Um, ah. so that was a good one, and then the pork. Um, with the apples, with the um, Chenin Blanc, yeah. and then the the fig braised short ribs with the homage, with and homage. then the um, the espresso cheesecake with um, with the Zinfandel. Sandra's got some incredible recipes. I'll just say that. Yeah, she was uh, actually on when you know when we first came yeah, on. Yeah, I she saw was her on, in the room. She was on for about five minutes, and and then she just clicked to make up. sure we were really doing it. Probably. Well, no, I think we were. <laughs> she, she's not looking for any attention, especially now. She's been at home for about a month um, because the restaurant's been closed. So, um, you know what I think is funny story is that when we started doing this, I remember Sandra telling me that she thought that. She thought it was great that we were doing it, but she thought we'd do like one or two of them and that would be it for the winemakers podcast. And, um, ha! Ha! <laughs> well, was that a comment about us or about the format? I think it's about us, right? I mean, <laughs> Oh, for sure. That was about us. <laughs> yeah. um, Sam, we've, we've, we're about 125 episodes, 130. So a couple of years. Oh, look at this big dog with Lisa. Wow. That's, that's a great looking pup. No, I'm, you got a lot of uh, you got a lot of shows, Sam, under your belt. Yeah, buddy. you know, we'll figure it out one of these days. Promise. Well, it's a lot of fun, and I think people enjoy it. So, wave yeah, at me. I mean, the, the turnout to to this thing is is uh, an amazing testament to what really you know you are the catalyst behind all of it, John. So, uh, you know, this is this is a, a room full of people that uh, you helped bring here. So appreciate it's very it. cool. He's very the Captain, cool. Captain Stubing of the Love Boat. <laughs> okay. Cap Captain Crunch with a rock band, baby. Yeah, as long as there I can go. be Isaac. You got it. <laughs> and I know we're all looking forward to getting back in a room together and drinking some wine because, um, you know, we, we, 
we we were slightly uh, i can speak for bart and i we were slightly irresponsible when this all went down bart and i were still willing to get in a room and and have people in there and, and i think sam sam gave us the the what kind of kind of um attitude and so we decided to to start using the zoom and um actually paying attention to what we should be doing so um i know the shows have been a little bit different in the the you know for me um, administrating the shows the sound quality isn't always exactly what we always wanted to be and I was so excited because I had just gotten some new microphone covers that were all uh, <laughs> I got some I got some multicolored ones for the bike goes on and I mean like these <laughs> and I got some black ones for the winemakers because I knew we were well I knew John was going to spill wine on them <laughs> radio misfits podcast network there you go there That's we go right. That's right. Shout out to the is did we get the podfather uh, the zoom info or is he just gonna have to like find out what this sounded like when when he listens to it? I, I think he's laying on the floor of, of uh, Morton Steakhouse down below his apartment <laughs> having <laughs> had way too much Johnny Walker blue. Okay. We'll no, he there. drinks he drinks he drags a bottle of, well first of all he has some some uh, Coca Cola wine on the list there that he always drinks. Uh, and uh, he brings he when 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 the Podfather had me out, he brought me. Uh, we we picked a couple bottles out of his cellar, took the, his private elevator down to the Morton Steakhouse, <laughs> and uh, you know walked out to our table. There was there was uh, uh, you know it was easy to get home drunk because he didn't have far to go. Oh, yeah. I've crawled up that elevator before. Seriously. <laughs> All right, and for those of you that um, are taking off, we we do want to wish you guys a happy Easter and and Passover and. Um, hope you guys have a a nice weekend. I know um, at my house we're we're sort of doing the Zoom thing with both sides of the family, so we're gonna try and connect with people, um, at least see them virtually, and um, and in, and enjoy these wines. We're doing ham for um, for Easter this year, and we're gonna we're gonna take them over to the uh, over to the uh, triplets. My daughter's best friends are triplets. We're gonna take some over there into Auntie's house and. Um, have some semblance of Easter. It's uh, strange times going on, and and I and I hope to God we don't have to do this next year. Uh, I don't think we will, but yeah, everybody have a really good weekend with family and just enjoy, relax and chill. Yeah, we'll be here next weekend, and well, uh, and you know, and um, I can just—I I don't know if I can speak for Sam and Bart, but if if anyone, I know we got some emails from some of the listeners that. They hadn't yet received the wines and they were interested in setting up um, individual, you know, I think four couples or something wanted to set up a virtual wine tasting with you guys. And so if, if anyone, you know, is interested in doing that, you can always reach out to Bart and Sam um, and they've got the technology and the wine to, to make that happen for you. Um, well, and I, I think Sam and I are both have talked about it. We're both willing to do uh, do these uh, more of these. Um, I think we even um, talked about trying to do another one with different wines on in May. I guess we should have discussed it with you first, Brian, since you're the administrator. Um, Brian, um, May <laughs> Day, we're going to do four new wines. Four new wines on May first. Okay, as long as I'm getting free wine, um, <laughs> I'm down. Well, We'll keep you well stocked between now and then, Brad. I can only drink so much Bogle Chardonnay. No, <laughs> from Sorry from the gross that. out. You know, it's been one of those. It's one of those things, and you know, people are drinking a lot of the supermarket wines right now because they're drinking every day, 
And so they're, they're buying things that are, you know, on the shelves at, um, at the stores. And I've, I've been a victim of that as well. And so Sam, the other day, when you, when I came to pick up the wines for the podcast and you, you sent me home with a couple bottles of Mayakama Chardonnay, I mean, I can't tell you, I've got a little sinus infection right now, but I, I still stayed up and polished off one of those bottles of Chardonnay because it was just nice to have a, a really nice bottle of wine in my mouth. It was a nice bottle of wine, wasn't it? It's I drank so one of good. those uh, for first night of Passover. It's good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again to everybody. You know, all, there's all these comments coming across on the, the chat bot here. And uh, this has really been, been very fun and have fun to have a little interaction and see all your faces and uh, share some wine with you guys. This is what it's all about and figuring out creative ways of making it happen in these uh, times that just call for creativity. So, and Sam, Sam, uh, looks like Bix. Oh no, it was Craig and Joyce who said, "Remember, if you have a glass of wine in each hand, it's much harder to touch your face." That's that's really true. That's really true. <laughs> well, and I I love the oh, pod God. the uh, the pod fathers um, quote the other night on his Instagram account that he he was attempting to make hand sanitizer at home and it ended up as a Jack and Coke. <laughs> that's right i'm not drinking officer i'm sanitizing right <laughs> doing some heavy sanitizing are cops right, even pulling anybody over anymore you know i don't know if i was thinking about that the other day as i was speeding through town at 65 and a 35 <laughs> that um i don't nice i don't know if Brian. they I don't know if they want to pull anyone over. And if they do, think so. you know, you want to, you want to appear to be really sick when they come up to your window. Oh, <laughs> Brian, are you actually going to post this? Bedlam. Bedlam? There you go. Absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we, um, we did a show this morning. Um, I think today the show came out with, um, uh, with Paul Maybray, and then and then we recorded a show earlier this morning. But that show can go out at any time if you guys want. We can post this one on for um, for next week. Well, we could just put, we don't have to wait for a Friday. We could just send this no. out as a as a special edition too. I have no control. Over anybody those wants things. to listen back? Right? If you guys know anyone that knows Ed, Godfather, <laughs> that that is gonna somebody talk to Ed. You know, Ed, that if we'll, you listened all the way through to this. Because I think his deal is he only works really one day a week. It's Thursday night when he puts all the shows on that come out on Friday. Other than That's that, it. I don't think he really does anything. Yeah, he's just cruising. So, John, if you know, know, I've only worked with the guy for 35 years, so I think I'd probably get it done. Yeah. He, Careful, guys, because we um, – we, uh, Ed could just turn us off if he decides right. that we're not working. <laughs> oh, you mean we'd, we'd have to go on YouTube, you mean? Yeah, well, because we don't work on a like a uh, a several dollar a year budget, you know, um, uh, pretty we're 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 kind of limited. Well, and what, everybody, what I like everybody this, in this, go ahead, Sam. Well, we're we're just we know who turns off before we get to the last five minutes of the show because right now we're just watching them leave the meeting. Oh, that person left the meeting. Oh, we ran on Oops. too long for that guy. There they go. Bye, guys. Well, all, all of you listeners and all the participants really want to say thank you. And we've had over what a hundred and fifty thousand listeners now. I mean, it's really amazing. I want to thank you very, very much from the bottom of my heart, everybody. It's yeah. a really good, positive thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, 50, what is that 50% off on the Shannon? Is that Bart that said that? No way. No. <laughs> Somebody said it sold out. Uh, yeah, 150, uh, we're, what are our numbers, Bart? Last time I looked, it was 132,000 listeners, well, so. No, 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 no. Oh. We, I, th had, I thought you meant on the Shannon, what, is, what are our no, amounts? No, 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 no. We've had 132,000 downloads. There you go. Uh, we, we have, um, yeah, 132 downloads. So considering my mom, you know, is probably 80,000 of them. Um, you know, that, and that's an old joke also for those of you who have listened for a while. Hey, I'm just happy I finally got the taste of Shannon Blanc yeah. after all this. <laughs> my God. All right. All right, guys. All right. We will, uh, Thank you. You Thank bet. You. Thank you, guys. Good to see all your faces. Uh, yeah, seriously. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 Peace and love. All right. This has been the Winemakers. If you want to check out some of our past episodes, you can go to radiomisfits.com. Uh, you can also go to, God, is one of you guys still on radio? What is it? Uh, winemakerspod.com winemakerspod.com that's easiest thank you and, and check out some of the past episodes as well i recommend the one called Overserved. um if you really i think this right now if you get off with us and go and listen to the Overserved episode you'll, you'll be, be in the perfect mind frame very entertained <laughs> <laughs> all right guys hey guys here this is great these guys hey, it was here. great Thank you, Tim. We appreciate it. It was great. It really was. Thank you. Thank you. Very informative. Thank you. And fun. Thank you. All right. We will look forward to talking to you guys next week. Hey, hey Brian. Maybe Yo. turn the recording off, but let's leave it up for a few minutes. Just. Yeah.